Good morning, everyone. My name is Scott. I'm your Connection Minister. It's so good to be here this morning. I'm grateful for the opportunity to teach this morning. Uh, Oksana, band, praise team, thank you. Wow. I was moved uh, in that last song. Thank you. Um, Thank you for pointing us to the Lord and how we should respond uh, to the story that God has told in our lives. Uh, That is what worship is all about. So thank you, guys. Uh, I am so grateful for the opportunity this morning to teach. Uh, We're beginning a new series on the book of Ruth. That's exciting. Uh, It's the Old Testament, if you did not know that. And uh, I'm delighted to see what the Lord has in store for us as we read Scripture and study His Word together. The theme of our series in Ruth is redemption. And today we're going to introduce the book, its characters, the context and setting, and we'll focus specifically on chapter one, recognizing God's faithful presence in the midst of grief. So if you don't mind, let me pray as we begin and ask the Lord to bless our time together, continue to bless our time together. Lord, we pray this morning that you would teach us through your word what you would have us to know. We pray that your Holy Spirit would give us insight into the scriptures so that we might be changed to not only become more like you, but so that we may honor you in understanding our rightful place as children of God. Give us wisdom concerning this life with its trials, suffering, and grief that we may respond according to your will and for your glory. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Ruth. Uh, We're going to look at chapter 1, verses 1 through 22. We're going to read the whole chapter. Amen. That's exciting. Uh, And I'll give you just a moment to do that. It follows Joshua and Judges. It's right before the books of Samuel. And we're going to start at verse 1, and I will do my best Uh, to lead us as I read through 22. During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem and Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, not Oprah. And the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Malon and Chilion also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. She and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, Each of you, go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest. In the house of a new husband, she kissed them and they wept loudly. 
They said to her, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand turned against me. Again, they wept loudly and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. But Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not to follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely. If anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. The two of them traveled until they came to Bethlehem. When they entered Bethlehem, the whole town was excited about their arrival, and the local women exclaimed, Can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, she answered. For the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has opposed me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi came back from the territory of Moab with her daughter-in-law, Ruth the Moabitess. They arrived in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. May God bless the reading of his word. Ruth is one of only two books in the Bible named after women. The other is Esther. The author is unknown, but the book was probably written after David had become king uh, in 1010 BC. The characters described in the introduction of the story, if you'll look there, are Elimelech and his family, his wife Naomi, sons Malon, Chirion, and daughters-in-law Orpah and Ruth. Although Ruth is the main character of the book, Naomi is the main character of chapter 1, and later the character of Boaz, who you will see in a few weeks next week, is introduced in chapter 2 as the main character. The events, to give some context and setting, the events take place in the book of Ruth. Uh, These events, they occur during the time of the judges, as verse 1 tells us where there is a famine in the land. Uh, The period of the judges occur, uh, to give you some uh, context, between 1360 B.C. and 1051 B.C. Uh, There's 309 years here during this period that we're talking about. Uh, And they are some of the darkest times in Israelite uh, history, in the, the spiritual history of Israel. Just preceding this time period... Joshua has led the Israelites in conquest of the promised land, Canaan. And just following the judges' period, Saul will become king for 41 years, and David will then succeed him around 1010 B.C. and reign for another 40 years. 
Again, after Joshua's death and without a leader to lead the Israelites uh, as they inhabit the promised land, the people begin to spiral into immorality, idolatry, cruelty, disobedience, and pagan worship. The book of Judges tells us in chapter 2, 11 through 15, the Israelites did what was evil in the Lord's sight. They worshiped the Baals and abandoned the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed other gods from the surrounding peoples and bowed down to them. They angered the Lord, for they abandoned him and worshiped Baal and the Ashtoreths. The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he handed them over to marauders who raided them. He sold them to the enemies around them, and they could no longer resist their enemies. Whenever the Israelites went out, the Lord was against them and brought disaster on them, just as he had promised and sworn to them. So they suffered greatly. At the end of Judges, chapter 21, verse 25, the last verse tells us that in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. In addition to God handing the Israelites over to their enemies, the famine was also considered to be a sign of God's displeasure with Israel and his message of judgment and indictment upon them for their obedience. We find in Leviticus, Deuteronomy, and Jeremiah uh, comments on that. Needless to say, there was much suffering in the land of Israel. And so, determined perhaps to escape the severity of the famine or the moral decay or the spiritual emptiness of the land or perhaps just to escape the societal unrest, Elimelech takes his family from Bethlehem, which ironically means house of bread, to the territory of Moab, east of the Dead Sea. The focus of today's message is on God's presence in the midst of grief. And I must confess, uh, in my life, I've not experienced the grief that Naomi and her daughters have experienced, nor what some of you may have experienced. In March of last year, 2020, uh, my father-in-law, he passed away peacefully of natural causes. But even just looking back over my life, Uh, There really has only been one other occasion where I experienced some sense of loss. Uh, It was a high school friend who uh, passed away when I was at college. So I really didn't even feel the weight of that loss. Yet, uh, I'm sure that uh, over this last year, uh, we can all agree that there's been some overwhelming sense of grief and heaviness due to COVID. Uh, There's a, a sense of grief and heaviness Uh, concerning our own societal unrest, job losses, food shortages that have all affected many of us. It's possible that in this room and those of you watching online, uh, that many of you have experienced the passing of a loved one or friend due to COVID. I am sincerely sorry for your loss, if that is the case, and pray the Lord's peace be with you. Or perhaps sometime in your life, you've experienced great tragedy, maybe with the unexpected loss of a husband or a child, 
I cannot comprehend the, the grief that some of you have gone through when losing a spouse or child, but perhaps these experiences will give you particular insight into the grief and suffering outlined in our story today. As we consider God's presence in the midst of grief, we need to recognize the example of God's faithful presence with Israel in their disobedience and in their suffering. Uh, We don't want to miss the fact that during this period of the judges, even as God is oppressing Israel for their disobedience and trying to turn them from their sin, he still remains present and faithful to them, answering when they cry out for help raising up judges to deliver Israel in their times of need and granting them short periods of peace. You see, even though Israel failed to follow the law required of them through the Mosaic covenant, God was still faithful to keep his part of the contract. In spite of Israel, the Israelites' idolatry, God had committed himself to be their God. And he had committed himself to fulfill his promise of redemption through Abraham and through the descendants of David. Exodus 6, 6 through 8 says, Therefore, tell the Israelites, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from the forced labor of the Egyptians and rescue you from slavery. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and great acts of judgment. I will take you as my people And I will be your God. You will know that I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of forced labor of the Egyptians. I will bring you to the land that I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Though the Israelites failed in their disobedience to God, God remained faithful to his word. In other words... God remains faithful, even when we do not. God is not only present with Israel in their disobedience and suffering, but he is also present with Naomi, a grieving widow. There's tremendous grief in Naomi's story. And although the narrative is only five verses long, it's difficult to overstate just how dire the situation is. Would you turn to verse 1 through 5 and let me read that once again because as we read this story, it's so easy to just move right across the grief that is inside the pages. During the time of the judges which we've outlined, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of the two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died. And she was left with her two sons. Her sons took Moabite women as their wives. One was named Orpah, the second Ruth. After they lived in Moab about ten years, both Malon and Chilion die. And Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. With the famine, moral decay, and societal unrest as the backdrop, Naomi finds herself in a foreign land with foreign gods. Over a 10-year period, her husband dies, both of her sons die, and 
Neither Orpah nor Ruth conceived children during their marriages, remaining barren. As a widow without children, no grandchildren, Naomi faces her declining years with the prospect of being alone and hopeless in her suffering. Without the provision or protection of a husband and with no grandchildren to cheer her spirits. Furthermore, because of her age and poverty, she cannot return to her father's house. Her parents are probably dead at this point. She cannot remarry because she is beyond the childbearing years. And she most likely doesn't have a trade or craft to support herself. Therefore, it's easy to see why when she returns to Bethlehem from Moab, Naomi in her emptiness in verse 20 says, Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has made me very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi since the Lord has opposed me? The Almighty has afflicted me. Although she's in a state of deep anguish and registers real pain and loss, leading her really to an unhealthy perspective of her God, she is still keenly aware of God's continued presence in her life and in the lives of God's people. Uh, Look at verses 6 through 15. Let's start at 8, verse 8. Naomi said to them, Each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you have shown to the dead and to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of a new husband. She kissed them and wept loudly. They said to her, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? And she finishes by saying in No, my daughters, my life is much too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me and they wept loudly. Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem because she hears that the Lord has paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. She's certainly aware of the Lord's presence in her story, and she prays blessings over Orpah and Ruth, trying to convince them to go back to their homeland to secure new husbands and to go back to a better future than she can provide. Notably, in verse 9 and 14, the writer makes us aware of the depth of Naomi's hopelessness. We see Naomi and her daughters as they consider separating, weeping loudly. Naomi's dialogue makes it crystal clear that the God of Israel is still an intricate presence in their lives, though he is moving in ways that Naomi does not understand and cannot measure properly through the filter of her grief. What we must understand is that Naomi's suffering happens for reasons that are beyond her. And many times we find ourselves in the same situation. Unaware of why circumstances are happening the way they are. Unable to process them correctly through the pain. We must remember that God's faithful presence in our lives does not guarantee that we will be free from tragedy and grief. 
Yet, Paul's words in Romans 8.28 give us comfort. He writes, we know all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. God is present and working out his purpose in and through our lives. Just as he is working out his purpose in and through the lives of Naomi and Ruth in ways that Naomi is incapable of seeing right now. Yet her life gives us a glimpse of how our own story of pain and grief and suffering may fit into the glorious unfolding of God's greater plan. This understanding of God's faithful presence in Naomi's life can help us to face our own grief. It can help us to face our own suffering with a fuller appreciation of God's sovereignty in our lives. We've touched on how God's presence, he is present with a suffering people and a grieving widow. Now let's consider God's presence with a noble woman. The book of Ruth illustrates how God is at work very quietly and behind the scenes to provide a solution to the terrible situation Israel has created for itself in Judges. And in later chapters, the book of Ruth introduces David, who will be the solution to those troubles. Yet it's interesting to note that although Ruth follows judges in the Christian canon, in the Hebrew canon, Ruth is located right after Proverbs. Isn't that interesting? You recall Proverbs 31. What does that talk about? It talks about a noble wife or woman. Those Hebrew words are used interchangeably. They mean the same. Proverbs 31 describes a woman, a wife of noble character. And in Ruth 3.11, Boaz tells Ruth that everyone he knows, Boaz tells Ruth that everyone knows that she is a woman of noble character. And he uses those same Hebrew phrases that we see in Proverbs 31. So in the Hebrew canon, Proverbs 31.10 asks, who can find a woman of noble character? And when one simply turns the page to the next book, they find Ruth, the woman of noble character. Let's turn to verses 16 through 18, if you would, please. Ruth replies, Don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not to follow For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely, if anything, but death separates you and me. And when Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go, she stopped talking to her. This is the first time that we hear Ruth speak and we recognize immediately that she will be instrumental in this story and that she has committed her life to Naomi, to Naomi's God, and to Naomi's people. Through God's presence and providence, he has provided Naomi Ruth, a woman of noble character who pledges to become an Israelite and to commit herself to the Lord as her God. Over a decade has passed since God brought Ruth into Naomi's story. And now, at a time when Naomi has become bitter toward God, we see how God has given her Ruth, who loves Naomi and is 
better, better to her than seven sons, as chapter 4, verse 15 says. He's given her Ruth, who will be faithful to God and who will support Naomi in her time of need. Ruth, who will give Naomi a grandson that will renew her life and sustain Naomi's in her old age. But again, because of Naomi's pain and affliction, she cannot see this. She has limited capacity to see God working in and through her grief to accomplish his will for her life, much less the redemption of the world. At this moment, it's important for us to recognize that God is not only present himself in our lives, but that he will most likely send others along the way to support us in our time of need. Just as Naomi found God's encouragement through her relationship with Ruth, God can reveal his presence to us through the encouragement, love, and support of fellow believers. I'm reminded of the relationships of Moses and Aaron and David and Jonathan, Elijah and Elisha, Paul and Timothy and Barnabas. In the midst of our grief, God will be present. And many times, encouragement will come from others that God is using on our behalf. The key is to be mindful. To be mindful of God's work behind the scenes as he moves in our lives and in our world. We've touched on how God is present even with a disobedient and suffering people. Uh, In that period of the judges, uh, we've considered how a grieving widow is aware of God's presence in her life, her people, and and in the lives of her daughters-in-law. And we've seen how God prepares a noble woman, Ruth, for such a time as this, to be an encouragement to Naomi and to be one who is grafted into God's people by her faith to do great things for Naomi and for God. Finally, let's consider God's presence with us. In our lives and in our times of grief, there are two amazing promises that we must remember. First, God says, I will not leave you or abandon you. This is God's promise found in Joshua 1.5 as God prepares Joshua to conquer the promised land. God does not go back on his word. And though he pronounces this promise many, many years ago, it is still true today. Well-respected pastor and author Paul David Tripp explains in his book, Suffering Gospel Hope When Life Doesn't Make Sense, that these words, I will not leave you or abandon you, are a humbling reminder that God remains faithful to us no matter what. Not because of what is in us, but because of what's in him. God establishes that he will be our God. And he promises that he will not leave us or abandon us. And his character necessitates his faithfulness to that promise. The second promise is just as amazing, and it's found in Matthew 28, 20. Jesus says, I am with you always. 
as his last statement in what we call the Great Commission, a post-resurrected Jesus appears to his disciples and gives them and us not only a great commission, but a great promise. He is with us. Tripp says of this particular promise, there could be no more stunning declaration packed with more practical hope than the words, I am with you always. These words portray a reality so glorious that it is impossible to overstate its magnitude. It is the ultimate game changer. It is the best of all good news. These words carry with them help and comfort that can be found nowhere else. And important here is that these words express more than a promise. They capture a state of being for every believer living through the harsh things. Tripp goes on to point out that Jesus ended this commissioning of his disciples with this amazing promise because he knew what they would face. Jesus knew that they would face constant opposition, misunderstanding, accusation, and rejection. He knew they would be chased and imprisoned, persecuted and beaten, and that many of them would give their lives for his cause. So, as we consider chapter 1 in the book of Ruth and the suffering and grief that Naomi and God's people experience, Let's remember that God has not left the story. In fact, he is the center of the story. He is in the center and present and working in the midst of the circumstances. God knows Naomi's grief, and he has not left or abandoned her or his people. As we will see in the coming weeks, God is working out a plan of redemption for his people, and Naomi and Ruth are right in the middle of it. Perhaps uh, today you're experiencing tremendous grief uh, in some way. God knows your need. And he promises you that you're not alone. Isaiah 57, 15 says... For this is what the high and exalted one says. He who lives forever, his name, whose name is holy. He says, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. And Isaiah 40, 27, 31 says, Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord. My cause is disregarded from my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even though youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall, those who hope in the Lord 
will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Jesus said, I will not leave you or abandon you. I am with you always. Words of promise spoken to give comfort to sufferers for the sake of the gospel. Tripp reminds us that Jesus does not let us suffer alone. He does not let us grieve in our own strength. He does not leave us to rely on our own wisdom. He does not expect us to exist in the cruelty of a fallen world without him. He will not leave us or abandon us. And he is with us always. We are never alone. Let me pray together. God, we know that we are not alone. Your word tells us so. And we thank you for this story of Ruth that we've really only begun to understand the complexities of it, but the beauty that lies in it of redemption, Lord, and your presence with your people, with Naomi, with Ruth, in times of grief, in times where there's emptiness and loss and a sense of hopelessness. You are present with your people. You are there to encourage. You are there to lift up and to bring blessing and peace. And I pray that you would do the same for us, Lord. That if there's anyone here sensing grief today, unable to understand their circumstances, through the filter of pain or suffering or this grief. God, I pray that you would renew their strength. And we bless your name today through your mighty hand. When we were empty, you are our portion. We'll look back on the mighty works of your hand and that will be our story, God, that you have been there all along and that we are not promised days without grief and trial and suffering. We will hold fast, Lord, to your word and to your promises that you are with us and that you will not abandon us. We thank you, Father, for this day, for this wonderful family of believers, Lord, that we are gathered here with, that we can rejoice and sing praises to your name and worship together, honoring you with our presence, with our hearts, devotion to you, Lord. We love you, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.